AgriTalk is brought to you by Full Scale from Helena. Grow Strong returns this season with breakthrough foliar nutrition from Full Scale at Reproduction. And by Propane. Propane is the energy for everyone, especially farmers. Environmentally friendly propane can fuel most anything on the farm. See how at propane.com. Oh, man, I cannot believe that it's time for the show already. The bells really snuck up on me today. I'm not even sure how the markets trip. Ah, never mind. You know the markets were closed today, but AgriTalk is here for you. Everybody, grab paper and a pen and get ready to take notes. This is a good one. From MLK Afternoon via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This afternoon, it's a conversation with Sean Hackett from Hackett Financial Advisors and later Kerry Artak from ArtakAdvisory.com. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. Now, here's the host of AgriTalk, Jeff Laurie. All right, Davis. Hey, thank you so much. Everyone, welcome to AgriTalk. Uh, I said it this morning. I'm going to say it again. Don't go to the mailbox today. The, there's not going to be anything in there. Uh, <laughs> government offices are closed and uh, the markets were closed today as well. Happy MLK Junior Day. It's an important day, Davis, and, and one that uh, uh, I that I hope everyone takes very seriously. Martin Luther King Jr. had inspirational messages. And looking back at some of those messages, if we if we work a little harder, we can make it reality. And what what a wonderful effort that would be, don't you think? Indeed. Um, and it was uh, it was quite the effort to get Martin Luther King Jr. Day established. Yeah. Um, the effort started actually four days after um, the, the good doctor's assassination. Yeah. And it wasn't until I believe it was 1983, 15 years later, when President Reagan actually signed it into law, making it a federal holiday. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is. Uh, yeah. It, and it is, as I said, it's a day. To look back at at the the way things were, look at the improvements that we've got, and imagine how much better things can still be in this in this great country. All right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, how are things? Uh, everything good? The weekend okay? Oh, everything's great. Everything's <laughs> great. Took some time to do some stuff and to yeah. you know, uh huh. You don't some, know what you did. Be some places and you uh, don't know eat what you things. did. I don't know. I don't yep. know. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully the fish were biting because uh, I <laughs> over the weekend I, it, there will be holes in in uh, in ice on ponds in eastern Iowa. I can, nice. I can pretty much nice. guarantee that that happened. And like I said, hopefully the fish were biting. <laughs> I never understood why why ice fishermen take a cooler with them. Yeah, no, I don't. Can't you just set it on the ice? Sure you can. Absolutely. Huh? You know, Natural. unless you've got something warm in there that you want to keep warm. Well, and if you yep. if you got one of them fancy ice sheds with a floor, you know, then you're going to need <laughs> then you're going to need your cooler. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> okay, we've got we've got some ground that we're going to cover on the show today, but uh yeah. before we talk about the guest that is coming up next, uh, let's go ahead and, and go over how the markets finished up trade on Friday. 
Yeah, so we're talking Friday's closes here. March hard red winter wheat futures were eight and three quarters cents higher at eight forty three and three quarters. March soft red uh, wheat up a penny seven forty three and three quarters. March spring wheat was down four and three quarters cents to close at nine oh seven and one half on Friday. Okay, and looking at how the markets wrapped up for the week, March SRW wheat futures up just a quarter of a cent, one quarter of one thin penny. Uh, on the plus side for March SRW, March HRW up 11 and three quarters and March spring wheat last week was up five and three quarters cents. Maybe a little bit of crop concern, the crop condition issues sneaking into the HR, I should say sneaking back into the HRW market. Well, at the end of trade last week, March corn futures were four cents higher at 675. May corn up four and one quarter to 673 and three quarters. July corn futures closed at 663 and three quarters, up two and one quarter cents in chip. If that July contract was just a couple of cents closer to 670, I might be tempted to say 675 is the new 650 in corn. Oh, oh, just saying. That's that's an interesting thought after last mm-hmm. week's USDA mm-hmm. reports, and yep. and we lost you know lost 200 million bushels off of last year's corn crop. Stocks came in 340 million bushels below the average trade expectations. And that tightening supply, tightening yeah. supply for the 2022-23 marketing year, it, it should have kicked the bull spreads into gear, and mm-hmm. it did. March corn last week was up 21 cents. July corn last week was up 15 and a quarter. It wasn't a huge move, but... There hasn't been a whole lot of spread action from the March to the July for a while. So if we get it to move almost six cents in one mm-hmm. week, that mm-hmm. was that was a busy week. Yep. Well, let's talk Friday's close in beans, where the March contract was nine and one quarter cents higher at fifteen twenty seven and three quarters. May beans up eight cents, fifteen twenty seven and one quarter. July soybeans closed at fifteen twenty five, up six and one half cents. Yeah, same kind of basic fundamentals in the bean market, uh, in the reports from USDA last week for the bean market that we talked about in corn. We we took 70 million bushels off of last year's corn crop. Uh, stocks came in below trade expectations, should have made the, the bull spreads work, and it did. March beans last week up 35 and a quarter. July beans last week up 23 and a quarter. So instead of sitting back and just letting the, the you know, waiting for supplies to come, the end users are starting to bid up a little bit more aggressively in the nearby contracts. So that uh, that that is a sign of tightening supplies. Unfair question with not much time. Which has greater downside risk, corner beans? Beans. Five and... Uh, five and a half billion mm-hmm. bushel bean crop coming out of Brazil. Oh, I feel too. Yeah. I, I think it's beans. Yeah. All right. Very good. Um, on Friday, March cotton was twenty-five points higher, eighty-two twenty-nine, still above eighty, holding in strong, but lower last week. Yeah, and it was the biggest loser in the ag markets that we talk about here, down three point nine six percent. That was off three hundred and thirty-nine points last week. Let's talk livestock. February fat cattle seventeen and one half cents higher, one fifty-seven seventy-two and a half. April fats down a tick, one sixty ninety. March feeders down a buck forty, one eighty two eighty seven and one half on Friday. Chip. Yeah, 
Um, we've got the February live cattle futures down, uh, excuse me, up 95 cents last week. And March feeder cattle were $2.77.5 lower. Now, when you've got corn up 21 cents on the week, taking two and a half, three bucks out of feeder cattle, all mm-hmm. of a sudden that starts to make a lot of sense. So I think that's probably what's happening there. And then this hog market. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's uh, we strung together seven lower closes, closed lower four out of the five trading days last week, and on the week lost only a dollar sixty-two and a half. That surprised me. Well, you got the Feb hogs a dime lower at seventy-eight yeah. sixty-five. April hogs a dime higher at eighty-seven twenty-seven and one half Friday. Yeah, exactly. So weird. Th- the, there's uh, it. It feels like the process of bottoming in the lean hog market has started. Rick Brock talked about it on Friday. Mm -hmm. He's been short hogs, and they're looking at at taking profits as as they make their way through the week ahead. All right. Again, thank you for making us part of your Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Really appreciate it. We've got a fascinating conversation coming your way next. Sean Hackett, Hackett Financial Advisors, right here on Agritalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. Our name says it all. Agritalk. What more do you need to know? In liberating strife. Welcome back to Agritalk on this Martin Luther King Jr. Day 2023. Markets are closed. Government offices are closed. Like I said, uh, don't go to the mailbox. Uh, there ain't anything going to be in there for you this morning. Not anything new, anyway. I'm Chip Flory. Glad that you're with us. Davis Michelson is here as well. Davis? Hey, buddy. How yeah. are you? Oh, yeah. Super yeah. terrific. It's a great Excellent. day. It's a great day. <laughs> it's fantastic. Fantastic. Let's get into this conversation now with Sean Hackett, Hackett Financial Advisor. Sean, welcome back to AgriTalk. Thanks for making time, man. I always love being on the show, and, and I just can't wait to have the conversation as always. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's not wait any longer. Let's get into it. Uh, I want you to go down to South America and give us your impressions on what's happening in Argentina, what's happening in Brazil, weather wise and crop wise. What are your thoughts here? 
we went back to 1950, 1945 and looked at all the different metrics for Argentina drought. And quite frankly, we just couldn't find the conditions as bad as it is today on this date that we're speaking. So it's a very severe situation. The numbers are still too high um, and then they're going to need to continue to come down. Now, of course, the flip side to that is that Brazil continues to look very good. We don't know about second crop corn yet. We're just getting ready to plant that. But the soybeans do look like they're going to deliver a very large crop. So it's a question of how bad is bad? And how good is good? My impression is that we have some further price premium to put into soybeans and corn heading into the end of January before I think we yeah. price in the worst case scenario that's going on down in Argentina. And then we can reflect the good t- times coming when the, the harvest in Brazil gets going for soybeans. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've got some uh, I, I've got some perspective on this time of the year and what it means uh, for for the corn and soybean markets as it relates to the crop conditions in Argentina and Brazil. I'm going to have that at the bottom of the hour, but it, the the potential for a rally, Sean, based on South American crop conditions, is clearly still there. We haven't we haven't priced everything that we need to know about those South American crops into into the markets at this point. I agree with you completely. And we were just told that the amount of supplies the U.S. is going to have at the end of the marketing season yeah. isn't as good as we thought it would be. So it's just, you know, the markets had been, you know, kind of been a little bearish thinking that the USDA was going to come up with some bigger numbers. It didn't happen. And that means we need a big crop one way or the other yeah. in the U.S. And as you know, we've not been able to put that together here the last couple of years. Right, right. Yeah, good crops, not great crops. And and uh, the question, you know, what we really right. need is is basically record corn plantings and a trendline yield, which would be a record <laughs> corn yield for a national average. That's kind of what we need to fix the supply situation. What? But let's stay down in South America here for just a bit. Can we transition from La Nina to El Nino quickly enough to, to to bring some some of those rains that that second corn crop in Brazil is going to need? What we think is going to happen is that we're going to move into neutral territory. They actually call it La Nada. So it's not El Nino, it's not La Nina, it's La Nada. Yep. And if we get into neutral conditions, it will allow enough moisture to come in to the second crop corn in Mato Grosso to provide, you know, not necessarily bin buster crop, but a decent crop. So I, we do believe that will provide, you know, at least decent conditions for a respectable crop down there for okay. Brazil. Okay. So how long do we linger in the Lanada? Can, can we make the transition to El Nino quick enough to help us out here in the, especially in the Western corn belt? There's two metrics we looked at chip uh one's called the multi-variant and so it's five variables that determine if el nino or la nina exist we're at minus 1.3 right now and the southern oscillation index which is a measure of which way the winds are blowing uh from the pressure differential in central pacific um that was at plus 30 at the end of the year we went back to 1850 we've had 14 times that those two metrics were at that level at the end of the year only one time did El Nino arrive by spring, summer, and only one other time did it come by the fall. 
So that means there's a 7 to 14% chance that we're going to have El Nino in 2023 and only a 7% chance it's going to arrive in early enough for the U.S. growing season, which means it's really going to be a 24 event if the historical statistics repeat. And that means that even though some good moisture has come into the U.S. here in the winter, mm-hmm. we think the drought cycle could reemerge in late spring and summer and once again provide worries that we may not be able to have that big crop that you just mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, obviously, we need to talk a little bit more about this, but what, what the Pineapple Express is bringing the, the moisture into the western, onto the west coast. What does that tell you about your, your, your longer-term uh, ideas on, on the weather patterns? California drought, western drought is not necessarily correlated to midwestern drought. It okay. can sometimes be together, sometimes it's apart. What's really driving this Pineapple Express, this atmospheric river, mm-hmm. is this Tonga eruption that happened a year ago. And all that water vapor, historical water vapor that had pumped in the atmosphere, it cooled the outer stratosphere to record cold temperatures, shrinking the Earth's atmosphere, creating a very unusually amplified jet stream. And that is really what's been driving this uh, amplified weather pattern, in, especially in California, where they're getting just you know, 50 inches of rain in a couple of yeah. days. Um, that's not going to continue into the spring summer because those airflow patterns shift as you move from winter spring summer so i don't believe that's an indication for the u.s growing season obviously it breaks the drought out west provides a lot of helpful uh, extra water reserves for agriculture yep. out west but it's not going to save the midwestern farmer okay so uh, your thoughts then on the growing season for the year ahead uh, what uh, what what do you expect we expect that we're going to have an early spring, meaning that the winter is going to end early and we're going to get off. And we and because some of this moisture has filtered into the U.S., we're going to have at least some good, good enough moisture conditions to get off to a good start. So we feel once we price Argentina in later this month or into February, early okay. February, we think that we could have a bearish period as we get off to a great early planting season in the U.S. And people project out because of that well, we're going to have record crops. And so we're, we think that would be the opportunity for livestock producers, for example, to consider thinking about locking in some cash feed as we okay. transition into a, a reemergence of the drought cycle. That's kind of how we see this yin and yang playing out from now in, from, from this point going into the spring summer. So buying opportunity for the livestock guys, uh, sounds like in the planning period, um, Yes. What about the heart of of the uh, growing season? What are you thinking there? Well, if we're correct, or if yep. the statistics repeat and, and El Nino does not arrive by the summer, um, then we think we're going to have at least our high probability forecast is that the um, May, June, July timeframe is likely to, con- to be very hot and dry. Remember, the Tonga eruption also ha- brings with it some potential hot weather extremes because it traps the heat from escaping into the atmosphere. So we think that May, June, July is the higher probability time for unfavorable conditions. It's possible, like 2012, for example, that you could get some late season shift in the rains that save a soybean crop. That is still to be determined. We need a little more time to get there, but we're really confident May, June, July 
you know, we think we could be looking at some really unfavorable hot, dry weather. And that means spring wheat, corn really would be the ones to be paying attention to in terms of irreversible, you know, yield losses. Sean, you, you, the, the, your comments about the Tonga eruption, I mean, it's evidence that you're willing to look at other things that most meteorologists and, and most, and I'm not saying that you're a meteorologist. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, most weather observers don't talk about. Why aren't they talking about this Tonga eruption? Because I, it, 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 my, my thoughts are that it's having an effect on our, on our moisture flow as well. I, I wish I knew. And I think it's just because it's never happened before. We've never had a volcanic eruption of that size do put water vapor in the stratosphere. That We've far. seen them put sulfur dioxide. Yeah, I mean, mesosphere it went to. Yeah. Uh, we have a lot of examples of sulfur dioxide going in the stratosphere, yep. but this was such an unusual one in 1,000 year yeah, event. Exactly. And the papers. Yeah, the papers we've written, uh, read from some really smart people suggested we, have, we would have an amplified airflow in the winter and we right. would have some extreme temperature volatility. And it, it's, in fact, happening. Yep. And it will be with us for a couple of more years before it okay. dissipates out of the stratosphere. Okay, We're, we need to talk a little bit more about this when, when we come back. We've got Sean Hackett, Hackett Financial Advisors, here on AgriTalk. We're going to keep the conversation going next. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. On this observance of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, an excerpt from Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail. Sometimes a law is just on its face and unjust in its application. For instance, I have been arrested on a charge of parading without a permit. Now, there is nothing wrong with having an ordinance which requires a permit for a parade, but such an ordinance becomes unjust when it is used to maintain segregation and to deny citizens the First Amendment privilege of peaceful assembly and protest. I hope you are able to see the distinction I am trying to point out. In no sense do I advocate evading or defying the law, as would the rabid segregationist. That would lead to anarchy. One who breaks an unjust law must do so openly, lovingly, and with a willingness to accept the penalty. I submit that an individual who breaks a law that conscience tells him is unjust and who willingly accepts the penalty of imprisonment in order to arouse the conscience of the community over its injustice is in reality expressing the highest respect for law. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors.
Welcome back to AgriTalk on this uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. As we mentioned, the markets are closed. So, Davis, you know, I know that you always look forward to recapping where the markets closed, mm-hmm. but Absolutely you know what? I do. Yeah. They, uh, they didn't even trade. I got so, nothing. I got nothing. Yeah, um, you got nothing. Wanna, let me clarify a term. <laughs> did, did Sean say la nada? Yeah. As in the nothing? Yeah, the nothing. It's neither la nina nor El Nino, it okay. is La Nada. La Nada. Or, or Enso mm-hmm. Neutral, right, yeah. John? Enso Neutral. That, that is correct. Enso Neutral. That is yep. correct. Yep. We're talking with Sean Hackett, Hackett Financial Advisors. Dude, <laughs> when, 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 you, when you came with the Tongi eruption and the, the impact on the weather in that last segment, I flashed back to 1992 and the effect of Mount Pinatubo on global temperatures um it happens it it, you people kind of scoff at the idea that these major eruptions can have an effect on weather in the middle of the united states but they do don't they if they're if they're large enough there's a a measure called the volcanic explosivity index if it's a vei six or higher and it pushes enough of that aerosol effluent into the stratosphere it has a huge impact for several years before it dissipates this one was a vei6 and just to put this into context it doubled the water vapor aerosols in the stratosphere in two days something that literally no one is aware that has ever happened before at least as far back as we've been recording these things so to think that that kind of of a situation is not going to impact our atmosphere or the, the climate in the, around the globe including the united states is simply ignoring reality in, in yeah. our view in our view you have to consider it have i'm to. with you i'm with you i've given some thought to the idea that it could influence or adjust the longer term weather cycles uh you know the 89 year drought cycle is due to peak in 2025 i don't could could it have an impact on the timing of that cycle? Well, the answer to your question is that we've never had a water vapor volcanic eruption occur um, over the last thousand years. So every Gleisberg cycle, any interaction that that's had with volcanic eruptions, it's been a sulfur dioxide. So mm-hmm. I, I can't, I have no evidence, I have no data to say right. whether it will or it won't. I believe it won't. I believe the forces that are at work with the Gleisberg cycle will. All I can think of, because there's a a general warming effect with water vapor versus sulfur dioxide, it could increase the heat extremes when the Gleisberg cycle year occurs Mm -hmm. from what it would normally have been. That's my speculation. But, you know, it is speculation. We really don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um Talk to me about the Gleisberg cycle. Talk to me about the 89-year drought cycle. Have I know that you've been been pointing to that 2025 peak. Is that still kind of the plan? Well, we verified this cycle to not the year 955 to the present. Um, and when we looked at all those uh, events, the average was 89 years. Now, there was some variability you know could be 91 could be you know there's some variability that's why we have 23 24 25 is that as the window what we do know that that you've we've never had a glassberg cycle drought occur when we've had el nino that's why we're so 
we've been working so hard to try to determine when is El Nino going to occur because the year that it does, the Gleisberg cycle is off the table. But we don't need La Nina. We, ju- we can have neutral. So, for example, 1934 was a neutral condition. In the 2012 was a neutral condition. Mm-hmm. 1988, 1988 was La Nina. 1955 was La Nina. So we don't need one or the other. We just can't have El Nino. So that's right. why um, if, if 23 avoids the El Nino, it's possible 23 is the year. If not, 24 certainly is going to be the El Nino year. That would be off the table. And then we would have to go to 25 being the optimal year right. if 23 does not verify. But we're going with 23 right now because that's actually is oh. 89 years from 1934. So, Holy smokes. Okay, so the drought, you've got it happening this year. If, if the statistics are correct from where we were and the El Nino does not arrive for the growing season, then it's absolutely on the table that we okay. could see the Gleisberg cycle verify in uh, in 2023, which is 89 years. That, Like I said, that's the preferred year because that's what has been the average. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, so <laughs> guys are sitting out there thinking to themselves, good grief. Uh, we've already got. 675 old crop, $6 new crop corn. We've already got $15 old crop beans and and $14 new crop beans. How much higher can it really go? I, I you know I know they ask that question because they ask me all the time. This is their comment and their attitude is this is high enough. Is it? Well, the prices are very good. And remember what we're trying to do here, Chip, is we're trying to to forecast a one in 100 year event, nothing that none of that, nothing in doing that is easy or, or, or clear. I mean, we do the best that we can. My strategy is you take the money home on the farm and then you take proactive action. If we see the evidence that the Glassbrook cycle is kicking in, what I would say is this, when you have a major drought, um, you know, 2012, I think we were down 20 or 25% yields from trend. In 1934, we were down greater than 30% from trend. If we're down, you know, that's like 140, 145 corn yield below trend, you know, from where trend is, and we have no ending stocks. I don't know what that means for the price, Chip. I don't know what it is. Yep. I suspect it could be considerably higher than current prices. But but remember, we're we're you know, we don't know if this is going to be the year. Everything says it's possible. So to be safe, to be, mm-hmm. you know, manage the risk correctly, prices are good. Back in 2020, when prices were low, you know, you wanted to risk or take a shot with your cash. This is the time to still take the money home, but then react proactively, protecting your upside price risks should this Gleisberg cycle drought really start to deliver. And that's what we're telling our customers right now to do. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. The this this is the kind of an event that when it does happen, and it will, uh, I believe it. You know, mm-hmm. you, you and I have talked about this before. I, Elwin Taylor at Iowa State University was the the guy that t- tuned me into this back in 1986, and so many of the things that that Elwin uh, uh, taught us all back in the the 80s and continued uh to to teach us into the 2020s um it they've happened uh how do we so with 
how do you how do you what do you think of climate change and everything that we're doing in an effort to correct the human impact on climate? I mean, the reason that we created what we call our natural climate cycle algorithm, utilizing statistics and long term weather cycles is because we felt that the market and those that were looking at climate were not looking at it correctly. Um, and that we wanted to do a better job. Remember, the GFS and the Euro models were only 15% correct in their forecast, weather forecast going 30 days out over the last two years. That is not a usable indicator in our yep. opinion. So our view and the view that uh, we've had for a long time is that these cycles repeat. You can do a great job at predicting these longer-term trends. And that's all you really need to do to get the directionality in Corn, for example, correct. I don't need to know if we're having a blizzard next Tuesday afternoon. I just need to know, are we entering into a Gleisberg cycle drought or are we going to have a good growing season because El Nino is going to arrive? If I get that big picture right, I can do a great job advising yeah. my customers and producers to do the right thing. And, and so, so I feel when you're looking at weather data, the people who are suggesting human involvement are looking at data that's so short in duration yeah. It's not really statistically significant. Weather data goes back thousands and tens yep. of thousands of years that we've looked at. They're looking at 50, 80, maybe 100 years. That is not a reliable data set to make any grand conclusions on who's doing yep. what, where, and why. I'm with you. I'm with you. That's why you can predict the next ice age in the 70s and and global warming in the 2000s. It, Correct. It, uh, it, it, the timeline is just too short too short we've only got about we've only got a couple of minutes left here talk to me about what happens after the event peaks well after the after the event peaks there's going to be social unrest there's going to be geopolitical um instability um there's going to be a, going to be a lot of government intervention um to try to mitigate what has happened um, and there's going to be a lot of questions they are going to be uh, asked about, you know, how come we didn't know this was coming and, and what do we do to mitigate the risks going forward? And what it also means, Chip, you know, in terms of livestock, you know, yeah. hogs and cattle, cattle especially something like that, the, what, would happen, what happens after droughts like that, the amount of animals globally that would be liquidated in another drought yeah. event like that would be so severe. You know, yep. that we would have the uh, flip side effect of a wild uh, readjustment higher in the cattle price. So, yeah. so you know, it's not pleasant, but right. if it's going to happen, there's still things people can do, farmers can do to manage it and get on the other side of it. And hopefully the high prices stimulate yep. um, investment in, in new ways of growing food and doing things to mitigate it. So Absolutely. Sean, you never fail to give me things to think about, buddy. Thank you so much for making time for us. Uh, we'll talk again soon, all right? Thank you, Chip. Thank you so much. Have a super weekend, and I can't wait to be on your show again. Thank you. Excellent. Sounds good. Sounds good. That is Sean Hackett, Hackett Financial Advisors. Kerry Artak, next here on Agritalk. From powering irrigation engines to warming buildings, propane has always been a part of American farm life. Now, you can be a part of propane's future and save money at the same time. 
The Propane Farm Incentive Program is a research initiative that provides farmers up to $5,000 towards the purchase of new propane-powered equipment. In exchange, participants share performance data to make tomorrow's ag operations more cost-effective, more efficient, and more environmentally friendly with propane. Getting started is simple. Visit propane.com slash farm incentive to see if you're eligible. To produce higher yields and greater value at harvest, timing is everything. Full Scale from Helena helps soybeans reach their full potential with breakthrough foliar nutrition and reproduction. Full Scale delivers beneficial plant extracts and micronutrients with the added efficiency of ENC formulation technology. It gives your soybeans every opportunity to grow strong returns this season. Contact your local ag retailer or Helena representative to learn more about Full Scale. Always read and follow label instructions and check registration status before use. The best talkers in ag, including you. Join the conversation on AgriTalk. Call us at 855-4-TALK-AG. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Chip Flory. Uh, Davis Michelson is back with us. Yellow. Uh, so, fascinating conversation with Sean Hackett. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, El- we are, we are in the window. <laughs> yeah, say that again. El nada. Yeah, la nada. La nada. La nada. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. The nothing. Yeah. The nothing. Um, so, yeah, it's it's the end so neutral. And honestly, that's what I remember from 2012 was that there was no La Nina signal. And we still had that serious drought across most of the country. And it was with... Uh, and Enso neutrals. It, we were in that transition period. And then we transitioned into a period where we had relatively benign kind of growing conditions. Uh, and, and we made some nice crops with an El Nino in place over 13, 14, and into 15 and 16 before we started to fade back and transition to a La Nina again. So it, that transition period is something that, that obviously we've got to keep a very, very close eye on and, and see how it does impact things going forward. But we're, we're in the window, man. Mm-hmm. We're in the window for this, Feels like uh, we're in a window. for the, for the cycles to come together and to give us that, you know, once in a hundred year type drought that, uh, it, We've we've talked about it forever. How this eighty nine yeah. year cycle is yeah. going to be peaking out in twenty twenty five after the nineteen thirty six drought, or as uh, uh, Sean was talking about, potentially uh, in in two thousand twenty three, following the third nineteen thirty four drought. All right, hey, it is Monday. That means it's time for an update from Kerry Artac, Artac Advisory. Go to artacadvisory.com. Kerry will get you signed up for a free two-week trial of his service. Go ahead, Kerry, kick us off. Thanks a lot, Chip. I'm going to start with March soybeans. I mentioned your show last week. I think it was in the 1460s. I forget the exact number because I watch this on a day-by-day basis. But for the week itself... It's 1475 even. That's an area that we actually tested last week. Um, And it can actually contain selling through the rest of March contract life. And we could from here, I don't have a clear indication of it. It's just that we're resting above long-term support. Long-term resistance is well above the market right now between 1621 even to 1637 even. That area is, I'll say, attainable. 
over the next two to three months, or in other words, by March expiration. On the way up, the critical pivot point in all this is 1560. 1560 is in reach over the next week or two, and it can contain weekly buying pressures. And if we close above 1560, then that 1621 even to 1637 even area becomes a three to five week objective, where not only March can top out into expiration, but even the broader soybean market, the back months, could actually top out into summer trade. Now, downside, if March soybeans close the week Friday below 14.75 even, then all bets are off. This market should, by the end of February, fall to 13.95 even, where the March contract can actually bottom out into its expiration and perhaps uh, the broader soybean market into spring trade. On to March soybean meal, uh, a related market, of course. Uh, this is still, as I was saying on your show a couple of weeks ago, despite its tendency for upside trade, it keeps bumping its head, if you will, into a, uh, a one-year rising channel top on the March chart this week at 480.6. That is a level that can contain weekly buying pressures, possibly into February trade. And from here, we can fall back to 451.4 over the next week or two, the low 450. So it's a low 480 ceiling, low 450s floor over the near term, that is to say into February. If we do close the week above 480.6 March soy meal, then 511.9 becomes our next three to five week objective. That is a long-term channel top, three or four years in the making that actually contained the highs from last March. And we pulled back from there in a meaningful way. So 511.9, if tested between now and say the end of March, can contain annual buying pressures. And if settled above, would represent a significant upside continuation point up into the 630, 640s perhaps over the following full year of trade if we close above 511.9. That is a rising channel top that rises every week. Now, downside, if we close below that 451.4 level, then I see a sell signal through the rest of March contract life. The next month or two, then expected to fall all the way back to 408 even, where I would expect soybean meal to bottom out the March contract anyway into its expiration. And finally, February lean hogs were a few weeks of rolling into April. April is nine handles higher. But in terms of February lean hogs, 75.05 has been an objective of mine for a week or two. It is a long-term support level that can contain selling not only into February expiration, but even broader lean hog market selling pressures. That is the April contract in the back months uh, all the way through spring. And from here, we can rally back to 85.30 perhaps over the next couple of months. The upside pivot point for 85.30 would be a settlement above 81.10. So upside this week, 81.10 can contain weekly buying pressures. And if we close above 81.10, expect 85.30 within a couple of weeks where February can top out into expiration and perhaps the April contract as well. But the problem is the April contract is nine handles higher. So it's already in the upper 80s. And we may have a rollover based buy signal in a few weeks that I will apprise your listeners of at that time, rest assured. A downside, I don't see it. But if we were to close below 75.05 at the end of the week, this market enters another significant sell phase. I would then expect 68.50 over the following two to three months. That is an ultra long-term support level for the broader lean hog market. 68.50 able to contain selling through the rest of the year. And once again, I'm only expecting it if we settle the week out below 75.05. 
Until then, 7505 is significant bottom picking territory for the broader lean hog market. And from here, we can rally back to 8530 within a couple of months and possibly even the upper 90s over the next three to five months. That upper 90s certainly more in reach with respect to the April contract when we roll in a few weeks. And that is all I've got for this week's uh, analysis. Chip, thanks for having me. All right. Good stuff, Gary. Thank you so much. Again, go to Artec Advisory, A-R-T-A-C, advisory.com. Get signed up for a two-week free trial from Kerry. All right, Davis, that's it. Happy MLK Junior Day, buddy. And the same to you and to all of our beloved listeners. Thanks for tuning in today, everybody. We appreciate you spending some time with us today. Absolutely. Come back tomorrow morning. We're going to have uh, the weather outlook from Empire Weather. Have a great day, everybody. This is AgriTalk.